want you to take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, please. And reading at verse 22. I want to thank Brian and Bertie for their kind words of welcome. It's always a privilege and joy to be with you in Sainfield and to have this opportunity of ministering the word of the Lord. Do remember especially our service tonight as we think on this special subject, Israel, the nation that will not go away. And uh, encourage those who are saved and not saved under the sound of the gospel. I must have sent out about 30 invitations for this evening. I don't know if they'll all come or not. I trust that some of them will. But you get on to your phone this afternoon and text folk and try and invite them under the sound of the word of God. I do hasten to add tonight that you'll be a wee bit longer than usual. Takes me about maybe 45, 50 minutes to get through this this evening. So uh, you'll be a wee bit longer than usual. You mightn't just be out at the time you're normally out at, but don't let that hinder you this evening. Do join with us under the sound of God's word. We're reading this morning in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and the verse 22. I want to talk to you this morning about the Savior in the storm. The Savior in the storm. And we're reading in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, and we're reading, please, at the verse 22. Let's just bow in a moment of prayer. Our God and our Father, we thank you afresh for the privilege of worship. We thank you, Lord, for the blessings of the Lord's day. And we pray that, like John, we might be in the Spirit on the Lord's day. We thank you, our Father, for the means of grace. We thank you for the Word of God. We thank you for prayer. We thank you for the Lord's table. We thank you, Lord, that we hold in our hands this morning the inspired, infallible, inerrant, indestructible Word of the living God. We believe with all our hearts today that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto all good works. And Father, we pray this morning that as we come to your word, that the Spirit of God would take the word of God and implant the truth of God in our hearts. We pray, our Father, that the Savior will draw alongside us this morning, that we might hear his speaking voice, that we might sense his presence. And our Father, we pray that from your word this morning that you'll meet individual needs in this meeting. We're conscious, Lord, that we need thy help, and we look to thee just now in the Savior's name. Amen. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14, please, and the verse... 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him onto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. 
And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit or it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee in the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried, saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and caught him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? And when they were come into the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshipped him, saying, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. And when they were gone over, they came into the land of Gennesaret. And when the men of that place had knowledge of him, they sent out into all that country round about and brought unto him all that were diseased and besought him that they might only touch the hem of his garment. And as many as touched were made perfectly whole. Let's keep our Bibles open there at Matthew's Gospel, chapter 14. And may the Lord help us as we come to his word this morning. Sometimes when visiting the land of Israel, we asked the group at the end of the tour where they would like to have been if they had a choice to be present during the earthly ministry of the Lord Jesus. We nearly always get the usual variety of answers. Some say they would like to have been at Cain of Galilee, where the Lord Jesus turned the water into wine, performed his first miracle, and manifested his glory. Others say they would like to have been on the Mount of Transfiguration, whether it was Tabor or Hermon, that mount where the Savior revealed his glory, his majesty, and his deity. Still others say no. They would like to have been in the upper room on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit of God fell and those believers were baptized by the Spirit of God and formed into the body of Christ. Many say they would like to have been at Calvary to see the Savior die for their sins according to the Scriptures. Most say they would like to have been at the tomb on that first Sunday morning when the Lord Jesus rose victoriously and actually and literally from the dead. No one ever says they would like to have been in the boat with the disciples on the lake of Galilee in the midst of the storm. Like the disciples, none of us like the storms of, uh, the storms of life. And yet in the school of Christ, they are part of the course, they are part of the curriculum. Without trials and temptations, without difficulties and afflictions, without tears and failures, we would never develop in Christian growth. Nobody has a life of all sunshine and no pain, no loss and all gain, for into each life some rain must fall. And my Christian friend this morning, you're either in the middle of the storm, you've just come out of the storm, or you're about to go into the storm. I mean, can you visualize this scene that Matthew brings before us here in Matthew chapter 14? Here were the disciples, 
and they were leaving the northeastern shore of the Sea of Galilee sometime between 7.30 and 9 o'clock in the evening, and they're starting to row toward western Bethesda in the vicinity of Capernaum on the plain of Gennesaret, but they're making little progress. Indeed, their ship is like a cork in a storm-tossed sea. You see, the disciples were facing a threefold problem. One, there was the direction of the wind. We read in verse 24, the wind was contrary. Two, there was the distance from the shore. The ship was now in the midst of the three of the sea. Three, there was the darkness of the night. I mean, the disciples were in a terrible, horrible situation. As a matter of fact, they were in the midst of a storm. Now, these disciples knew the Lake of Galilee like the back of their hand. Most of these disciples had been reared around the Lake of Galilee. But here they were. They were skilled sailors. And literally, they were afraid that they were going to drown. They were scared that they were going to perish. Usually, the Lake of Galilee is a lovely sheet of water. But there are two mountain ranges to the north of the lake, and they form a tunnel that sometimes catches the wind and hurls it with great velocity across what is mostly a peaceful sea. This is what seems to have happened on this occasion. And the the disciples were right in the midst of it. They were in the storm all right. I wonder, dear friend, this morning, is that where you are? Are you meeting storms and billows wild? Are the storms of temptation, of difficulty, of sorrow, of illness, of hardship beating upon you? Maybe you're asking the question this morning, does the Lord know? Does the Lord see? Does the Lord care? I want you to look with me at Matthew 14 this morning, for there are three pictures in this story that I want to underscore for you. First of all, I want you to notice the storm on the water. That's simple, isn't it? The storm on the water. How suddenly a storm comes. I mean, just one hour can change the course of a life. As uh, we discovered some years ago, there we were, Catherine and I were driving merrily through Lurgan. We were just past Fulton's furniture stop. It was about 9.15 in the morning, and our daughter rings her mother on her mobile, screaming down the phone, Mommy, come quickly. I'm having the baby on the bedroom floor. Well, there was no one else with her, and we were really concerned. And so I flipped the car around the main street in Lurgan, And I drove as fast as I could to Donnacloney, breaking every speed limit. On the way out to Donnacloney, I rang the the authorities, uh, and they said that they would send an ambulance. By the time we reached Ghana Lodge in Donnacloney, all I could hear from the bedroom floor was, tell Daddy not to come up the stairs. (laughs) The paramedics arrived quickly. But then three men discovered that they couldn't deliver a baby. By this time, the ambulance lights were flashing in the driveway. Screams were coming down from the bedroom. And I was pacing up and down the road, praying that God would undertake. 
Just then a neighbor appeared in the providence of God. Her name was Claire. She was a midwife. She went upstairs. And how thankful I was an hour later to see Heather coming down the stairs and stepping into the ambulance, a new baby girl had been born. But isn't that incident so true to life? How suddenly a storm comes. Just one phone call. Just one knock at the door. Just one text message. Just one email. Just one visit to the doctor's surgery. And you're in the midst of the storm. You see, the Lord hasn't promised us a smooth journey. He's just promised us a safe landing. I want you to notice some things about this storm this morning that I trust will encourage you. First of all, it was in the Lord's plans. It was in the Lord's plans. Look at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitudes away. That word constrained is a very strong word. It means he forced them. It means he compelled them. It's a word that indicates pressure. It's a word that indicates urgency. I heard about a little boy scout who turned in late one evening to the Boy Scouts meeting. Scoutmaster began to question him why he was so late. He said, well, on the way over here, I was helping a little old lady across the road. The Scoutmaster asked him, son, why should that make you late? He said, because she didn't want to go. You know, my dear friends, sometimes we get into situations where we don't want to go. But the Lord's plan for the disciples on this occasion was that they go directly into the storm. Did the Lord Jesus know that the storm was coming? Yes. Did he deliberately direct them into the storm? Yes. You see, they were safer in the storm in God's will than on land with the crowds out of God's will. You know, as we read our Bibles, we discover there are two types of storms. There are storms of correction when God disciplines us. And there are storms of perfection when God enables us to grow. Do you remember that old Jonah was in the storm? Do you remember that God came to Jonah and told him to go to Nineveh, the capital of Assyria? It was northeast. Instead of going northeast, Jonah went southwest. He went down to Joppa, just below Tel Aviv. He wanted to take a ship to Tarshish, but... Jonah rose up to flee unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, but the Lord sent out a great wind into the sea. There are the storms, my dear friends, of correction, but the disciples were in a storm because they obeyed Christ and had to be perfected. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus had tested them in a storm before when he was in the boat with them, but now he was testing them by being out of the boat. Do you realize, my Christian friend, this morning, the storms are encountered on the pathway of obedience? It was obedience that landed Cory Tin Boone into that concentration camp, that German concentration camp in Ravensbrück. It was obedience that took Jim Elgin and his four missionary friends from America to Ecuador, to the Aka Indians, only to be slain and murdered by them. Many believers have the mistaken idea 
that obedience to God's will provides smooth sailing. The prosperity theology that tells us to name it and claim it doesn't gel with this experience. You remember the words of the Lord Jesus, in the world ye shall have tribulation. Those who tell us this morning that the Christian life is a bed of roses with no hills and no valleys and no problems do us a great disservice. You can imagine if the disciples had been interviewed on Good Morning Jerusalem after this, you can imagine what what would have happened. Those who would have been interviewing them would have said, I hear you disciples got into a storm recently. They say yes. And maybe those interviewing would would have said that was too bad. And they they said, no, it wasn't too bad. For we learned some things about the Lord Jesus in the storm that we would never have learned any other way. The disciples were in the midst of the storm and they could say, the Lord brought us hither. I wonder, is that your testimony this morning? Do you find yourself in the midst of a storm because of your loyalty to the Lord? Maybe you're saying, well, what's the Lord doing with me? What's the purpose of this storm? What's the reason for this storm to help you grow in faith? Was that not the reason behind this storm? After all, the Lord Jesus was going to leave them one day and they would face many storms and problems in their ministry and they had to learn to trust him even though it looked, or even though that he wasn't with them and even though it looked, it seemed he did not seem to care. You're going through a storm today? Do you feel burdened, believer, that you're going under? Listen, you're not going under, you're going through. I want you to see that this storm was in the Lord's plans. Look again, verse 23. It was in the Lord's prayers. It was not only in the Lord's plans, it was in the Lord's prayers. And when he had sent the multitude away, he went up into a mountain apart to pray. And when the even was come, he was there alone. Mark adds this lovely detail. And he saw them toiling and rowing. What a beautiful picture. There on the hillside, Overlooking the scene of the disciples' distress, the Savior is watching and praying. He's praying and watching, communing with his heavenly Father. He's also watching over his people in the little boat. And he's involving the Father in the same act of loving concern. The Father on the throne, the Son on the hillside, together. They're watching over that storm-tossed boat, together. They're talking about it together. They're listening to the groans and the sighs and the moans of the disciples together. They're keeping vigil through the first, the second, the third watches of the night. Indeed, he who watches over Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. I wonder this morning, are you in the midst of the storm? Then be assured this morning that the Lord is watching over you, that he's praying for you. My friend, this morning, listen. If you knew that the Lord Jesus was in the next room praying for you, would it not give you fresh courage and fortitude to endure the storm and do as well? Of course it would. 
Isn't it good news this morning to know that he's in heaven praying for us? The Bible says, he ever liveth to make intercession for us. We are in his prayers. I heard about a little boy that had misbehaved one day, and his parents sent him to bed one evening early. Mom put him into bed. And she said to him, son, say your goodnight prayers. Well, he prayed for his daddy, and he prayed for his sister, and he prayed for his buddies, and he prayed for everyone imaginable. And then he looked up into his mother's face, and he said, amen. And then he he looked triumphantly again into his mother's face, and he said, I guess you noticed you weren't in it. Well, I've got good news for you this morning. Christ is in heaven. And he's praying for you this morning. And he knows all about the storm you're facing. And you're in his prayers. A pastor had difficulty sleeping one evening. He was worried over the spiritual state of the 50 churches that were under his spiritual care and oversight. And when the clock hit midnight, he heard a voice. Go to bed, preacher. I'll sit up the rest of the night. Listen, as long as the storm is raging, the eye of the Lord is upon you. The eye of the Lord rests upon you. He cares for you. He prays for you. How he watches over his loved ones. Died to call them all his own. How for them he intercedeth, intercedeth from the, intercedeth from the throne. Picture number one. The storm on the water. There's a second picture I want you to notice here very quickly. It's this, the Savior on the water. Not only the storm on the water, but the Savior on the water. Where's the Master? Where's the Savior? I wonder were these the questions that were filling and flooding the hearts of the disciples. One thing is absolutely sure. After this incident, they worshipped him as the incomparable Savior or the incomparable Savior. For notice what they say in verse 33, Of a truth thou art the Son of God. Indeed. This passage sets before us proofs of Christ's deity that led to this confession. For example, did you notice here the Savior's sovereignty? He came at the right moment. Look at verse 25. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went on to them walking on the sea. Now, the first watch of the night was from six to nine. The second watch of the night was from nine to midnight. The third watch of the night was from midnight to 3 a.m., The fourth watch of the night was from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. And then Jesus went on to them. He waited a long time before he came to them. Just as as he had waited several days after Lazarus' death before he came to Bethany. You see, the disciples were at least nine hours on the ocean, nine hours on the Lake of Galilee, battling with the storm. Burden believer this morning. Do you ever feel that the Lord has deserted you? When you're going through the storms of life, the hard times of life. You know, my dear friends, in the Psalms, David complained that God seemed far away, that God seemed at a distance, that God seemed unconcerned, and yet he knew that God would ultimately deliver him. Even Paul got into a situation that was so difficult that he he felt burdened excessively beyond strength. He says so that we even despaired even of life. But the Savior always comes to us in the storms of life. 
He says, when thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow thee. When thou walkest through the fire, thou shalt not be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon thee. Why didn't the Savior go to them immediately? You ever had a problem, a heartache, a burden that the Savior didn't solve quickly? Did you notice that the Lord Jesus waited until this little boat was as far from land as possible so that all human hope was gone. Verse 24, you see, he was testing the disciples' faith and he was removing every human prop. Why did he walk on water? To show the disciples that the very thing they feared, the water, was only a staircase for him to come to them. I wonder this morning, are you fearing the difficult experiences of life? Surgery, treatment, unemployment, suffering, change. Have you not discovered that these experiences bring the Lord Jesus closer to you? As the songwriter said, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find Jesus. He's the one who cares and understands. Standing somewhere in the shadows, oh, you'll find him, and you'll know him by the nail prints on his hand. As George Morrison said, when our need is greatest, God is closest. Here's the disciples. And they're discovering the Savior's sovereignty. He came at the right moment. But look again. They not, we not only see here the Savior's sovereignty, he came at the right moment. We see the Savior's supremacy, he came in the right manner. Look at verse 25. Jesus went unto them walking on the sea. Now, he didn't walk on the sea so to teach the disciples to do it. Peter tried and failed, and there's no record of any other disciple ever doing this at all. The Lord's purpose was simply this. He will do whatever is necessary to rescue his children. You and I know this morning that walking on water is a physical impossibility. You just can't walk on water. Men have gone to space and they've walked in space, but they can't walk in water. But you know what the Bible says? Thou hast put all things under his feet. That means that the physical elements of the universe, he controls the elements of the physical universe. Man can control water, but the Lord Jesus can. I heard about an African king one day who went down to the seashore and set up his throne, his, all the paraphernalia of royalty on the seashore. And he thought that he was going to stop the tide coming in. And when the tide, come, when the tide began to rush in, he ran for safety. My friends, listen this morning. He's the master of the sea. He's on top of the water. I'll tell you this. When the Lord Jesus stepped out on the water, those drops of water held hands to support the lovely Son of God. You say, preacher, what's the point you're making? My point this morning is this. That every problem you face is under his feet. You see those waves? Those waves that were over their heads was under his feet. Do you have a problem this morning? It's under his feet. You have a child that's driving you crazy. It's under his feet. You have a problem on the job. It's under his feet. You've got a health problem. It's under his feet. You have a problem in your business. It's under his feet. No wonder they confess of a truth. Thou art the Son of God. 
There was the Savior's sovereignty. He came at the right moment. There was the Savior's supremacy. He came in the right manner. But look again. There was the Savior's sympathy. He came with the right message. Do you see what it says in verse 26? And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit, and they cried out for fear. But Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Do you get the picture this morning? Oh, that I could paint this picture for you. Put yourself out there in that boat. I've been on that lake many times. It's always been calm. But put yourself out in that boat. It's dark out there. There's a storm out there. They're looking through all that fog and haze and stormy water, and suddenly they see someone coming on the water. No wonder they cried out. In fact, they said it's a spirit. It's the Greek word from which we get the word phantom. They said it's a phantom. It's a ghost. Isn't that an amazing thing? What they thought was the worst thing that ever happened to them was the best thing that ever happened to them. What they thought was for the what they thought was bad turned out to be for their good. What they thought was a terror to them was going to be a great blessing to them. Has that not been your experience? The thing that you thought was bad turned out to be good. The thing that you thought was a burden turned out to be a blessing. The thing that you thought was a hindrance turned out to be a help. The Lord Jesus saw their fear. Notice what he says, verse 27. Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. Literally, it's translated, it is I. Christ is saying, be not afraid, be of good cheer, I am. It's the title for deity. It's the I am of Exodus 3. It's the Old Testament phrase, Jehovah God. The I am. Christ says, I am. The Lord Jesus is what? Christ is saying this morning, I am what your storm requires. You having a guidance storm this morning? Christ says, I'm the way. Are you having an intellectual storm this morning? Christ says, I'm the truth. Are you having a health storm this morning? Christ says, I'm the life. Engrave it in gold. Put it around the doorknob of your heart. Jesus Christ is the great I am. He's able to enter into your time of distress, your time of difficulty. He's able to feel your heartache himself. We have not an high priest that cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He is in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. In every pang that rends the heart, the man of sorrows has a part. He sympathizes in your grief and to the sufferer sends relief. Does Jesus care? Of course he does. No one ever cares for me like Jesus. Picture number one, the storm on the water. Picture number two, the Savior on the water. Here's the third picture. Picture number three, the servant on the water. Don't you love old Simon Peter? I mean, there's no one as colorful as Simon Peter. He dared to be different. He was the only disciple who dared to take steps of faith and walk a bridge over troubled water to stand with Christ. Notice his desire is inspiring. Notice what he says in verse 28. Lord, if it be thou, bid me come to thee on the water. He didn't walk 
on the water for the sake of doing something spectacular or miraculous because it was his way of getting to the Savior. Peter wanted to be with Christ. My friend, this morning, where are you willing to go to be with Christ? You know, there are times when following the Savior will mean that you and I will have to leave the confines of our comfortable little boat I mean, anyone can sit in the boat, but it takes a person of real faith to leave the boat and step out on water. That's what George Muller did. That godly man from the city of Bristol, he stepped out in faith to care for 10,000 orphans over 50 years and never did those orphans go without food, even though there were as many as 2,000 orphans living at any given time in those orphanages in the city of Bristol. And over 5 million dollars come in by walking on the water face. Tell me this morning, what are you willing to risk for Christ? Oh, his desire is inspiring. But look at verse 29. His defeat is illuminating. Peter was doing all right. He was water walking, but when he saw the wind boisterous, verse 30, he was beginning, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, Lord, save me. The moment he took his gaze off Christ, doubt and wavering filled his heart. I wonder this morning, like Peter, has your gaze been diverted from Christ? From Christ's sufficiency? From Christ's love? From Christ's wisdom? From Christ's ability? The result is you're floundering. Could it be, my dear friends, that like Peter... Right now, in the midst of the storm, you've lost sight of the Lord. Oh, if you're sinking, take heart. If you call upon him, he'll rescue you. He'll catch you. He'll sustain you. He'll uphold you. He'll guide you to safety. Do you know what the writer of the Hebrews says? Let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author of uh, the author and finisher of our faith. That word "look" means looking the, looking at that which fills the heart. Who fills the heart? Who thrills the soul? The Lord Jesus, the one who is in perfect control of the circumstances that threaten to overwhelm us. We've been hearing a lot about water in recent days, floods in, in Patrick and Portadown and Ure. Some years ago, a church in Oregon was damaged by a flash flood. In one Sunday school class, there was a picture of the Lord Jesus walking on water. Unbelievably, the water mark on the wall indicated that the flood just stopped beneath the Savior's feet. My friends, this morning, the Lord's able to control the height to which the waters of adversity reach us in our lives. Our responsibility is simple. Fix your eyes on Christ. Do you need to do that this morning? Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim and the light of his glory and grace. The storm on the water it was in the Lord's plans. It was in the Lord's prayers. The Savior on the water, His sovereignty, 
He came at the right moment, his supremacy. He came in the right manner, his sympathy. He came with the right message. The servant on the water. His desires inspiring, his defeat is illuminating. There's a lovely phrase in verse 31. Look at it in closing. Just want to leave it with you as we bring our service to a close this morning. And immediately, Jesus stretched forth his hand. There is an unseen hand to me that leads through ways I cannot see. When going through this world of woe, this hand still leads me as I go. This hand is led through shadows drear, and while it leads, I have no fear. I know it'll lead me to that home where sin or sorrow e'er can come. I long to see my Savior's face and sing the story saved by grace. And there upon that golden strand, I'll praise him for his guiding hand. I'm trusting to the unseen hand that guides me through this weary land. And some sweet day I'll reach that strand, still guided by the unseen hand. My friend, if you're in the storm of life this morning, keep your eye on Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the encouragement of your word to our hearts this morning. And Lord, we know that sitting before us there'll be many burden believers. Lord, I just pray this morning that you'll take this simple word of encouragement, make it a blessing to their soul, help them to realize this morning that the Lord's with them in the storm, that he's in absolute control of every circumstance of our life. And we thank you, Lord, that his hand will sustain us. His hand will still our fears. His hand will bring us safely home. Oh God, we pray that you'll give us the grace just to keep our eye on Jesus. We ask it for Christ's sake. Amen. We're going to sing a lovely hymn in closing. I'm sure you've sang it many times. We used to sing it many times in Lurgan. Day by day, and with each passing moment, strength I find to meet my trials here, trusting in my Father's wise bestowment. I have no cause for worry or for fear. Let's stand as we sing this hymn together.